Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. Fact Check This Podcast, and today I'm joined by Adam Patrick of You're Talking Over Me. Adam, I'll let you introduce yourself, and then we'll just kind of jump right into it, because you and I have had a little bit of a back and forth going on for a couple months now, and uh, so we'll get into that after you kind of tell who you are. Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess I'm a libertarian podcaster, just searching for the quickest grift I can get so that uh, I can make enough money so that I can go to seven LP events this year. And um, and talk about taking over the government so I can leave people alone. That's really that's all I want to do. And <laughs> no, no, man, I, I, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. But um, <clears throat> I, I, yeah, my, my backstory is kind of kind of simple. Uh, grew up in southern Connecticut, uh, you know, lower middle class family with a, a good amount of freedom in the 80s and 90s. Uh, my father was a professor. My mom was an entrepreneur and then became a, a therapist. And a free thinking household, played a bunch of sports, just had a really good childhood. Uh, Very rebellious. You know how 80s, 90s kids are. Um, Joined the military after 9-11 for no other reason than a girl and became very quickly disillusioned with that murderous bureaucracy. And then I started putting some terms to my ideas when I got out, you know, libertarianism. I would have called myself an anarchist at that time, but probably not the yellow or gray kind, probably the red kind. Um, more, more or less, the you know, rage against the machine kind of anarchism. Uh, Ron Paul, you know, the story, everybody's told it. He goes against Rudy Giuliani, talks about the wars in the Middle East. That was the first time anybody had ever articulated some of the thoughts that I had coming out of the military. And then I basically spent the next 15 years parroting libertarian talking points and not really thinking much about them as I ran bars and restaurants throughout the country, really, mostly in Connecticut, but in some other places. And then, um, you know, this weird thing happened in, uh, in 2020, this like little uh, bug was going around bothering some people and, uh, you know, a couple of people in power decided they would shut the world down and, and, and try to stop it. Um, didn't work out that well, but, you know, I guess teach their own. And it was during this time period that I thought, you know, maybe these things I've been talking about deserve a little bit of scrutiny. And so I thought, well, let me do the reasonable thing here and go on Twitter because that's where all the good ideas come from. And I've never used Twitter before. I have one, but I've never really used it. Uh, So let me go on there and I will just be enlightened to all of the good, rational, logical ideas that are going uh, throughout society. And uh, and my life will be, you can see like a train of ignorance going on here in my life over over time being like, (laughs) and uh, uh, you know, I met some really good people on Twitter. I met some really awful people on Twitter and, and a lot of people in the middle. And I think it was a good, 
a good learning experience for me to kind of get me where I needed to be. You know, I, I've done, you know, almost 80 episodes of the show. And I feel like now I feel like I can actually start doing the show, if that makes sense. Like, I feel I'm at a place where, you know, I've kind of worked through some of my ideas, good and bad and otherwise. And, um, you know, I kind of want to tie a bow up on this package of the last 18 months and, and try to move on to some bigger, more interesting ideas now that I feel I'm, I'm, I've kind of worked out how to articulate them. So that's my uh, somewhat humorous and mostly truthful journey through my, through my life till now. And see, that's, that's a part of why I wanted to talk to you is because we have a very uh, similar journey as far as that goes. I never joined the military. Uh, I had a couple buddies who tried to talk me into it and I was too much of an anarchist. Like military was just too much, mm. uh, too much of someone else's authority. And I was way too anarchist at that point in my life for, to, to think that that would be a good idea for me. Like it probably would have been a good thing for me to, uh, to calm me down a little bit at that point in my life. But, and, mm. and I might've avoided, uh, a terrible first marriage if I had done that, but, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that I saw as being a good decision. So, I never, I never went for, I never pursued it beyond talking to recruiters and stuff, but like everything else, uh, we kind of have a very similar journey. Uh, I really dipped, uh, I got real active with the Republican party in college and then I, I dipped hard into anarchy and, and I kind of came around to libertarian ideas with the Ron Paul movement, but the Libertarian Party just never interested me because it seemed kind of flaccid and hmm. uh, anarchy just seemed to have more of an appeal. I, I didn't want a political party to have control. I wanted the whole thing to crash and burn. And, mm -hmm. and as the Mises caucus has come around and I've kind of started to learn about that and get engaged with that and be able to see some of the, the ideas that I had learned about through Ron Paul and, and over the years with that kind of being implemented a little bit on a level that they might actually be able to make the Libertarian Party into what I always thought the Libertarian Party really should be. That's got me interested enough to, to participate some. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I still default back to anarchy for as much as I would love to see the, the Mises Caucus be successful and do something positive with the Libertarian Party. So that gets us to some of the ideas that have been getting kicked around a lot and uh, tend to create argument and frustration for people with kind of the, the post-libertarian thing of is the Mises Caucus and the ideas of that really worthwhile, especially as opposed to uh, like, if you look at it from Andrew Popular Liberty, Popular Liberties, you know, anarcho-tropism and the ideas of structures of power and the necessity of those things and, and just the human nature of those things like is the libertarian party viable so let's let's kind of dive into where you've made it in that kind of journey well if, if you ask what the uh if the libertarian party is viable i guess my 
my, you know, the worst way to answer a question is with a question, but I, I would say viable for whom, right? I mean, it, it certainly can be viable to raise your own personal profile. It may be viable as a way to teach you a little bit about the political system or at the very least Robert Robert's rules of order. So that if you were to get involved in a, you know, a political situation that actually mattered, you would have some sort of like minor league training to be able to affect some change there. I, th I think there is something to it. Um, there, there are some really good people that I've met through the Mises caucus, not so much the LP, but definitely the Mises caucus, some really good people, especially here in Connecticut. Um, I don't agree with all their ideas, but they're certainly not like bad people. You know, they're not bad human beings. They're, they're very well-intentioned, good human beings, you know, family people, uh, religious God-fearing people, like entrepreneurs. It's not like they're not on the, on the right path in life. You know, it's just maybe this libertarian party diversion isn't the best use of their time, but you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to tell somebody what the best use of their time is because it's, it's not my time. Um, so I, I don't know the viability is, is it viable as a political organization? Well, of course not. No, I mean, it, yeah, it can't, it can't be right. Because th there's nothing in order to use or wield political power, right. You, you can't be principled. Like, I mean, you can, you just won't achieve anything because that's not how politics works. It, it would be nice if it did. And if it did, you wouldn't need a libertarian party or anybody. You wouldn't even need libertarianism because it would just work that way. So the fact that the people in power are, um, you know, wearing human skin over their scales and want to murder everybody on the planet to consolidate their power. And you're going to go in there with, you know, don't hurt people and take their stuff. And that's going to have some effect on them is, is a completely ridiculous wa uh, waste of time. So, no, but. Um, I saw. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think it is viable. Yeah, I, I can't remember where I, I saw it or I heard it today um on the you know on the topic of principles like to be in politics you almost can't be principled like the ones who yeah. are really successful in that they have abandoned all hope of moral and principle and like and so it is kind of a fool's errand for libertarians and that you are so principled that it, it's just it doesn't make you oh, it was a safety video that i was watching today uh, with my new job and it was uh, it was talking about like uh, different management and leadership types and the ones who are so principled, like the the leader who is so principled that they're unwilling to bend on things that need to be bent on so that you can be successful, so that you can be productive, so that you can find different ways of doing things that, you know, might be out of the outside of the box or, uh, you know the ones that just live in that black and white, they don't have room for gray. And then you, you really kind of kill your ability to manage and lead effectively because you, you are unwilling to bend or see other viewpoints on things. And that, that really, that really kind of hit me. It was like, that's, 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 you know, mm. that's the libertarian idea. It's the super uh, prince, like the most principled motherfucker on the planet okay, if you aren't willing to bend on anything ever because of your principles, I, I don't disagree with needing to have principles and morals, but you also have to live in the reality that it's a, you know, it's a shades of gray world. It's very, very rarely black and white. 
Well, let's let's follow that logic train, right? If somebody is going to be, you know, devoted to their libertarian principles and ideals, then just don't go into politics, right? That's a, that's a very easy solution, right? It's like saying, um, you know, I'm dedicated to eating. I'm just going to cut out food, right? Like there's there's no particular, or I really want to pick this thing up, but you know, I'm not going to use my hands. Like so if you're if you're a libertarian and your principle, just don't go into politics. It's very simple, you know, and, and then go do liberty stuff in your life or whatever. I mean, I, I've tried to make the differentiation uh, numerous times be- between libertarianism and the ideas of individual liberty and economic freedom. Right. If you want liberty and freedom, then go get liberty and freedom, earn it or take it from the people who don't want to give it to you. Right. And and then you have it and then you can spread it. Right. And, and stay away from politics. You, you don't belong there and you shouldn't like I, some people will, will hear that message. I said earlier, like it's a knock on them. And, and what I'm doing is respecting your ideology and, and you by telling you your ideology doesn't belong there, that you're, you're better than that. You don't belong in politics with these lizard people. That's not where you're, that's not where your purpose should be. I mean, if you want to do it, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. It's just, it's going to be a waste of your time. So, you know, if you're dedicated to the principles of individual liberty and economic freedom, go out, get those things, then share those things with people. And by that, I mean, teach them how to do it as well. That's going to have a lot more effect on people in, in your community or in the world than just talking about it all the time. Right. And, and you mentioned, uh, did you mention post-libertarianism in, before we started recording or, or after? Because I, I might have mentioned it briefly at the beginning. I know uh, it has come up multiple times. So. Uh, well, I, I, I think it kind of harkens to this idea of identity that that people have with groups right that i i don't i think the the term post-libertarian came from an episode title in somebody's but might have even been in mind like a moving post-libertarian or something which was such like an arbitrary throwaway it might have even been pete quinones show i don't remember who who wrote it in the episode title but that's the first place i remember seeing it and it seemed like such a throwaway you know like whatever it's just a thing you're moving past something and then i started seeing on Twitter or even in like blog articles or hearing in shows, this idea of the post libertarians. And I was like, I don't think any of my friends have called themselves that. I don't think, I I don't think I have, I'm pretty sure I haven't. And I was trying to figure out why, why that's become a thing outside of it, like organically outside of what it's supposed to be referring to. And I realized it's because uh, uh, agorists, voluntarists, anarchists, libertarians, they, they tend to very much identify as that thing, right? Like I am a libertarian and that is my thing. And, and those are my people and that's my ideology, right? And I think it's very difficult for them to look at other people who do not have a, a very specific ideology or better said, they're not ideologues and, and they can't conceptualize that, that you have to be part of something. You don't have an identity. You don't have an ism that you're part of that represents you and your thoughts. How, how could you not have an ism? You have to have an ism. So it must be post-libertarianism. That must be your thing. That must be your ideology that you just can't stop being that thing. And it's like, no, nah, man, I just want to talk to cool people and have a conversation. And, and I think a lot of times I'm not even sure they're talking about me specifically. 
So I don't know why I take it personal, but, but I do know who they're talking about very specifically. And I happen to like those people. And I know they don't think of themselves that way. It's just a matter of kind of exploring ideas uh, that are not, of course, allowed in libertarianism. Like, how dare you read Julius Evola? Like, how dare you? Do you know that he didn't like Jews? Like, yeah, man, like that's not a good part of his philosophy. Like, OK, right. So, you know, Rothbard kind of uh, said it was like, OK, to starve children to death. Right. For property rights. Like maybe that wasn't the best idea. Does that mean like you throw all of Rothbard away? Like, the, so the idea that you wouldn't be beholden to an ideology and then even further, that ideologies tend to be like really bad in the long run when people become rabid ideologues. I don't think that they can interpret. Uh, they don't understand that they don't understand that someone doesn't identify as a thing that they're just a free thinker and a human being who's moving on a journey through life trying to get better so uh i just wanted to kind of address that real quick i, I think it's silly uh and i think the people who who conform to an identity like that really need to do some introspection and try to figure out like why why that is why they're so beholden to that thing see i don't I have struggled to understand the constant bickering that goes on between like all of the different uh, versions of libertarians, especially on Twitter. Cause it's, it's like you agree on 90% of everything. Like there are just different approaches to how you get there. But for the most part, it's a lot of similar ideas and they just get so heated and bicker with each other. And it's like, I see value in a little bit of all of it. And I kind of, you know, craft my ideas of how I would like to take the direction of my life from a little bit of all of it. And mm -hmm. like, there's no reason that all of these people shouldn't be on the same side and quit bitching and bickering with each other when literally 99% of the rest of the world considers us the actual enemy and we're like we're trying to encroach on them like we mm. have a common enemy and it's not each other like why, why does it always have to why does it always have to come down to some uh ignorant minutiae that really should just add uh it should add variety to how we go about achieving these things it shouldn't be a jumping off point for bitching and bickering with each other yeah i think there's something to that uh pr probably what you're seeing there is that many of uh, many of the people you're referencing who are kind of thinking outside of the index card of allowable opinion in libertarianism uh is that they once called themselves libertarians and so they're you know you, you have to work through these things. And for me, it was helpful to work through them by talking to people in real time. Right. I can go back and listen a year and a half ago when I was like, uh, you know, like rejoining the Mises caucus and looking back and like, I literally said that, like, it's a good idea. I said that 18 months ago. So you work through these things in, in real time as you're learning, growing and evolving. And, 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 and you don't, you know, you make observations as you go through that journey. And there are people who are not willing to go on that journey or not going to go on that journey who take that very personal. And it, 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 it gets to the point where, yes, that, that animosity can build up. And at some point there's, you know, like 
I may have been nastier on Twitter in the past month than I really intended to be. And that's not a good look for me. It's not really in my personality type to do that. Um, And I'm not going to say I regret it because who knows how worse things could have been if I hadn't done that. But I think ideally it's better to just either go separate ways or leave those ideas alone. But the problem is it's hard to leave an idea alone when it's the thing that you're trying to learn from, right? Like if I don't talk about libertarianism, then I can't really mention the last 20 years of my life. So how do I explain the journey without explaining libertarianism? And, and then as I evolve and grow and adapt, you know, maybe I evolve out of that. But certainly during the process, I'm going to have to critique the thing that I'm growing out of. And that just naturally bothers people who, like I said earlier, that is their identity. They're not interested in liberty. They're interested in being a libertarian. And, and then when you realize that, that's worth critique as well. So and, and, and don't get me wrong. Uh, There are a lot of people who are willing to hear that critique, some who agree and some who disagree. And it's perfectly fine if you disagree, if you're just willing to come at it in good faith. There's plenty of things that I that I understand that I disagree with. Right. But being attacked from a position of identity politics is is worthy of some type of reproach. Right. Like that. That's worthy. it's, It's worth pointing out to people that at that point, all you're doing is protecting your ego and your brand and maybe your followers and your income if your show is very popular. I, I think that critique is worth mentioning. And you know, there's ways to do it well and ways not to do it well. And maybe some of the ways I did it weren't the best ways, but whatever. I mean, things work themselves out and, and nothing's really personal. Like a lot of these people I don't know personally, so I don't mean it personally, but I do mean to attack rabbit ideologues. I, I think that's very dangerous. Um, and if you want to call it a grift, you know, it might not be a um, purposeful grift, but it's 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 noticeably one, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I did like something that you said was, you know, being able to talk through these ideas in real time over the past 18 months. Because so around that time was when I started getting involved with working with a lot of these different podcasts. So, you know, I've got Pounding Fiction, Lions of Liberty, Buck Johnson, uh, Break the Cycle, and then, you know, a couple that are not exclusively uh libertarian or political in nature and then uh working with carlos and los libertinos and then uh, Mm -hmm. i've done a little bit of a little bit of video editing for jose gallison and been putting together like intro clips and stuff for uh for some other shows and so working with all of these different shows and talking to all of these different people and listening to guests that they have and all of the different ideas and kind of seeing, you know, the, especially with the lines of Liberty, like the way Mark and those guys have kind of shifted and grown over the last 18 months and the, mm-hmm. the way their guests have kind of flowed with that. And then Buck and the way his show has gone with like all the different guests that he has on and the ideas that they bring up that are not exclusively, you know, political or libertarian, but they hit on like good topics. It's kind of helped me to, develop ideas and flesh out the stuff that I agree with the stuff that I don't agree with and the stuff that I was kind of on the fence about and in these circles that we kind of find ourselves in it doesn't feel like a lot of people are real willing to try to flesh a lot of that stuff out like they they've kind of hit their rut and they're unwilling to move out of it in any 
in any meaningful direction. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think you're in an interesting place there where you're, you're kind of, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I don't know if this is true. Uh, if you have to walk a fine line because of the income or, or like the, like how, how you do your job, if you feel like a, you're kind of caught in an awkward situation where you're not sure if you can say something or not say something because you don't want to offend anybody, is that like a good summation kind of where you are or do you not give a fuck and you just say whatever? I don't worry about it. Um, okay. Like when I make clips and stuff, I may not agree with what all of the guests say, but I try to make sure that the guest is well represented in what their ideas are. So, well, I mean I, more so from the I mean more oh, so from the host's point of view. Oh, uh, like as far as what I say, I, yeah, my my ideas are my own, and uh, hmm. I have no connection like other than they pay me to do video work and stuff i have no connection to any of the other shows so uh Mm. i I keep my personal i keep my personal beliefs and stuff out of any of the work i do as much as i can uh like i i want i want to make sure that whatever i think or feel or like where i position myself on stuff uh when i sit down with an episode and go to do work i am only focused on the host, the guest, and putting out good content that represents what they're saying. And like, I, I, can't, I try to divorce myself from any of my emotions or personal feelings, uh, which I'm pretty good at. I think I'm a little bit mm. of a sociopath. So uh, <laughs> that helps. Why, why we get along so well. <laughs> so that, that helps uh, because I, you know, I don't know. It sounds weird to say it out loud, but like, as far as the emotional side of things, like I can turn that off. I, that's, that's something that I choose, not something mm-hmm. that, uh, not something that necessarily happens organically. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. As far as like the work that I do side of it, um, I don't worry about that a whole lot because I, I'm, I try to keep my name off of all of those shows as much as possible. Like, Mm-hmm. I try not to, especially on like clips and stuff. Like there's stuff that I personally post, but I try to make sure that it's exclusively reflective of the show and has nothing to do right. with me. Like, I, so that's, I, I have uh, uniquely positioned myself with a lot of that stuff, but I, I try to keep me out of all of that too. Is yeah. That I mean, that's, that that's, answer? yeah, that's probably smart. You know, it, it's when, it's it's interesting having been you know called myself a libertarian for a very very long time it i can see within the libertarians i know now that you know we we they get frustrated when they explain something quite logically to a quote-unquote statist and the statist doesn't get it right they're like but don't you understand like facts and logic facts and logic and the statist is like no none of that like makes any sense to me at all and they get like so frustrated right I felt like when I was working through, you know, some of my ideas about how I was uncomfortable with a lot of libertarianism, I felt kind of the same way. I was like, why doesn't everybody think this is right? Like, I, it, it seems so right to me. I feel like I'll just explain it. Like, here's my issue with libertarianism. And they're like, fucking statist. And you're like, dude, I, I, wait a minute. I thought, like, if you just explain something logically to somebody, they were supposed to understand. So Maybe that like kind of snowballed for me where where I I just started going, okay, 
I'm starting to sense some common traits with a certain group of people. And I'm going to just, I guess, distance myself from them. And then once I saw like a couple of blocks, like Twitter blocks, I just went, all right, well, this is how this is going to (laughs) go. So let me just get it out of the way, say the thing I want to say, and then we can all just block each other and get it fucking on with our lives. Right. And then I don't have to see your shit. You don't have to see my shit. And I can just carry on because honestly, like, great. Like I, I happen to have like a really well flowing timeline right now of people that I'm learning from and internalizing some ideas and working through some things and having some really engaging conversations with people who also want to have those conversations rather than beating my head into a wall with a group of people who really have no consequence in the world whatsoever. And I, I don't mean that as a human being, I mean, as an ideological fact, like they're, they're, their ideology doesn't have any impact in the world. They might personally have some impact in the world. I really hope that they do. I, that's that's very important part of the the idea of growing your own your yourself and investing in your own human capital and growing your wealth. That absolutely do that. Um, so I think it all kind of works out for the best. Like I don't have to listen to somebody on a show talk about what I was thinking of twelve years ago, and they don't have to get annoyed with me for pushing them to think like me. Like I'll just do what I do and, and I'll carry on with it. And, um, and I, I think everybody's probably happier that way. So, you know, you, you gravitate toward who you're going to gravitate toward, but, you know, ultimately like, kind of like you said, for you, for me, it's, this is about exploring my ideas in real time. It's not about conforming to anything or trying to sell people on what I am because until I started until, until like the last month and a half, when I really started going on Twitter to say something very purposeful, you know, and I, I wasn't really doing other people's shows. I'm kind of doing this now as kind of a, a way to, I guess, break out of the, the, the story and into another story to kind of learn from you and, and other hosts. And um, I, you know, I just found like being naturally distrustful of groups, I'm going to go on my journey. I'm going to go on it my way and, and do this for me. And that's all that really matters. You know, whoever comes with you on that journey and helps you grow, you, they, they come with you. And if they fall off along the way, then that was just the way it was meant to be. And you don't, you know, you, you owe people what they put into you, I think, if you're just a good human being. But at the end of the day, the person you owe the most to is yourself. So, I mean, I, I hope that doesn't come across sounding douchey. I, I hope it sounds like some kind of a positive, inspirational message. Um, you know, it was I don't know. Those, I hope like, so cliche mom quotes from when I grew up that, you know, there, there are people who are with you for a season and for a reason and for life. And, you know, as, as we go through this journey, there are people that, you know, as corny as that saying sounds, I mean, that that's literally something that my mom said to me. Uh, you know, uh, it, it really does hold true. Like I have people who have come in and out of my life because I needed them at that time. There were people who were for a very specific purpose and that was it. And then there are other people who, you know, you have lifelong connections to. And, and I feel like maybe on Twitter, uh, people don't understand that as much. And so you get feelings hurt and people block each other and stuff Mm. because they don't understand the journey that they're, they're on maybe. Yeah. Well, and they're probably not trying to be on one with all of those people, right? Because I mean, how many, you know, I, I worked in the bar and restaurant industry for 17 years. I'll, I'll be out of it in two weeks, thank God. But that this was my my career. 
I mean, how many thousands of people a week do I interact with compared to how many people I spend time with in my personal life? You know, Twitter <clears throat> can be approached very much like being a bartender, being behind it. I, I've always worked in the restaurants that I've owned or managed or operated or whatever. Um, never been an absentee owner. And I'm currently not an owner. I currently work for somebody managing their bar. And, you know, I'm polite and I engage and I learn from them. Uh, I have contempt for many of them, but you, you, you know, you're a professional, so you do what you have to do. Uh, certainly there's like very few of them that I would spend time with to get to know. Right. And, and your Twitter friends or that people that you're engaging with there for the most part, I mean, you might meet up at, at, at a festival somewhere or Childeberg or something, and, and maybe you really connect with one or two of them, you know, but there seems to be in, in that space, this expectation, like we're all supposed to be homies, right? Like, like just because we're, we all come from the same place and the same background, the same philosophy or ideology that we're all supposed to just be great friends. And that's not really like realistic, right? To, to expect that just because you walk into a group of people and you all kind of think sort of the same way about the world, that all of a sudden you're all going to be like buddies for life. You know, anybody who's gone, anybody who's been in the military, anybody who's gone through like the college experience, anybody who's been in some kind of a career, you know that you go into there being as nice to everybody as possible. And over time, you form your own personality and and you start to look at people differently and you start to realize that you don't have to be friendly with every, or you have to be nice to everyone if you want to not be fired or whatever, but you don't have to hang out with all these people. And I think there's just a lot of like uh, green life experience, let's say within the libertarian community where maybe they haven't experienced that. And this, this is their social group, like regardless of whether or not it should be like, it almost has to be because there is no other option. For a lot of people, either they're very uncomfortable being alone, which I, I totally sympathize with. I mean, I love being alone, but I totally understand why people want to be around other human beings. They haven't run bars for 17 years and have a complete contempt for humanity. So I do get that. Um, and then they, they so they find this thing and it becomes their identity. And therefore, anyone else who thinks like that's like immediately their best friend. And I can't really think of how that works in the real world. It isn't really how people are. So I think maybe that speaks to your point of, of kind of how these things transpire and why it was, it's so easy for me to, to detach from it and not care because it's like, this isn't my identity. I don't really know a lot of these people and the ones that I have gotten to know really well, you know, that we're in like private DM groups or something um, that is, that works itself out organically too. Like over time, you might find the person that you kind of chose to align yourself with for many, many months just isn't really moving in the same direction as you are. And at some point, you know, you may need to break off that relationship or maybe it fizzles out on its own or something like these things just sort of work themselves out. And I think if you're an adult and you're on a journey of self-growth and, and enlightenment, and I mean enlightenment in the good way, not like in the destroy human civilization way, like that should be embraced. It's okay. Like that's all perfectly okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I haven't, for whatever reason, and I, I'm not mad about it. I, I'm I'm not a big fan of them anyway. But I haven't gotten in a lot of or really any of the like uh, the DM groups and stuff like that. And that's cool. Like I'm in a couple Discord servers, and I've got them muted because it's mm -hmm. it's too much. Like I, I don't I don't want that much engagement with most people. Uh, 
I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a loner myself. And, and I think that's, that comes a lot from, I have moved a lot in my professional career, uh, for, for a time, the longest I stayed in any one place was like 18 months. Um, and on average, I was moving about every 10 months for several years and Mm -hmm. to the detriment of my former marriage and, you know, uh, but, but it put me in kind of a, um, a mental place where I didn't need a whole lot of other people. Like I didn't, I wasn't making a lot of long-term committed friendships and relationships because I wasn't going to be long-term committed anywhere. I was going to be moving on mm-hmm. as soon as the next opportunity came up. And, and there is in our modern society for whatever reason, which we can, we can dive a little more into this. Cause I think you and Mark kind of talked about some of the, uh, well, I know you and Mark talked about some of the, like the religious aspects of stuff, but mm. you know, I think there is a certain degree that a lot of the, like the Twitter sphere is glomming onto each other because they do need that connection and they're not getting it, uh, especially with the way the last 18 months has been. And, and honestly, the last five years uh, since, you know, the Trump presidency started, like the country is being, has kind of been more and more divided in more and more ways. Like it's not just that, that Republican Democrat divide, like it, it's really divided in a whole lot of different factions that, uh, when people do find something, some commonality, they're just glomming onto it because they need that connection that, mm. you know, maybe people like us who have been around a little bit more and don't necessarily need that, or maybe even want that, like it, it that doesn't, may not register as much. So, so then they do get really intimately connected to that and it becomes a part of their identity where, in society and in culture, everybody's looking for that, that identity because it's kind of been stripped away with the way uh, leftism has really crept into everything. Mm. Wow. I feel like I said way too much on that. (laughs) No, no. I I mean, I I think that, I think what you're kind of touching on there is, is what I've talked about when I've said the God shaped hole in man's heart will be filled with something. Right. That there's going to be something stuffed in there, crowbarred in there, regardless of whether it's healthy or not for you, because that's what we're biologically programmed to do. Now, I don't know why we're biologically programmed to do that, but I recognize that is the case. And, and by that, I mean, just read anybody who talks about like anthropology or sociology or even like biblical studies from an atheist point of view. Like that, this is not uh, like an original thought or in any way, like even that interesting. It should be like blatantly obvious to people by now that everybody's going to, or I guess almost everybody is going to find something to worship, something to believe in, you know, whether it's their, their shiny new car, uh, Anthony Fauci or Jesus Christ, right? Something's going to get crowbarred in there. Or uh, I would argue uh, of all of those things, one of them just happens to fit very nicely. So it, you know, and, and for whatever reason, that just happens to be the case. I, so I think, you know, certain certain group identities can be a crutch, can be like a, a religion in some ways. And, and we're also a, a communal species. And I think, 
you know, unless you are like legitimately a sociopath, which of course you said you are, but you're not right. Like if you're, if you're like a, um, a Patrick Bateman or something, you know, from American psycho, like, but, but you're not. So we do have an innate ability, uh, a need to be communal and to socialize and to be part of a society like that. But I think, like you said, you've, you've been around and experienced a lot and moved a lot and had a lot of change and flux in your life. I'm the same way I've lived in, I've, I've at least visited 48 of the States. I've lived in like 10 of them, you know, numerous relationships, like different jobs, uh, different, you know, experiences that I've had. And I've kind of at this age, gotten a lot of that out of my system to, you know, I really enjoy hiking with my dog and having dinner with my girlfriend and having conversations like this in my free time or reading a book. I don't like feel like I need to go out and listen. A lot of this is 17 years in the bar and restaurant industry too, where you get a lot of your, a lot of your social interaction with like the worst human beings on the planet. And so (laughs) I might be maybe like extra uh, adverse to doing this in my free time, but yeah. So I, I think the unique perspective of you or I coming, coming from that, that way of thinking uh, would probably rub people with group identity wrong, or I, I would, I'm not gonna speak for you, but maybe they see me as like attacking their group because I have my own group or, or whatever, but really I'm just like a guy saying stuff. And I don't know why that has any impact on anybody. It's not like I'm important in any way. So I, I don't know what the, like the, the gravitas that they're making up about some of us is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I would, I would just advise people to, you know, work on you first, and then you have more or less of a tendency to fall into that trap. If you're confident with you and you find a good, healthy belief system, you know, a good, healthy religion, uh, maybe not wokeism, maybe not libertarianism, maybe not liberalism, maybe not the enlightenment at all, but, you know, just spitballing here and go through like tradition and, and order and ritual and, and find that thing that fills the God-shaped hole in your heart that, you know, you don't need to Crisco in there that you will find yourself then probably on a path of structure and order that leads you to gravitate to people who are better for you to be around. So that's just been my experience. And certainly uh, Adam in 2021, trying to tell this to Adam in, in, you know, 2004, I would have told me to go fuck myself. So I I don't know how much this is going to resonate with anybody, but you, you can try, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Me, let's see, me in 2004 was uh, traveling to stump for George W., uh, mm. serving as a uh, county representative at the Kentucky State Republican Convention and also campaigning for a bunch of uh, like state level Republican candidates. So, mm. me, today talking to that me he probably would have told me that i was a kook and uh had gone too far with the anarchist ideas but like i look at the me of then as a naive kid who was invested too much in something that he probably shouldn't have been i mean it was a great experience it taught me a lot about politics that uh, you know, less a lot of lessons about politics that I didn't necessarily learn until several years down the road. But mm. you know, it was it was a good experience. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't knock that. 
but yeah, he, he definitely wouldn't care for my current uh, position on a lot of things either. You, you know, I was, I was raised with, I mean, how, how old are you? You're like mid thirties, 38. I'll be 38 30. in a couple months. Yeah. You don't look a fucking day over like 19, dude. I'm really jealous, but uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll be 40 next year. So you, I mean, you know, I don't know your exact background, but I mean, just growing up in the eighties and nineties, um, I think all, most of us were taught like a healthy respect for people who were older and wiser than you. And that what you did was you shut the fuck up and you listen, you, you listen to them talk, right? Like my distrust or distaste for authority when I was a kid was, was not the same thing as like not a healthy respect for the individual human being speaking, right? Like I, I, I could remember the reason I even got through school in the first place where I basically just ditched it every day and smoked weed was that I was actually learning stuff, just not the way the system wanted me to learn it. I was listening to the teachers. I was listening to all of the adults in the room. I just did it my way. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to sit there for eight hours in school because I was picking up the concepts on my own. So I think that, that, that reminds me kind of just to, just a tangent a little bit. So somebody said on Twitter, what are the post libertarians going to do when the post post libertarians come along? And then it was this whole list of like, ah, oh, fucking, you got a man gut shot. And I just went, I don't know. Listen to them. Like, like what, what an obvious answer to a stupid question. Like what, like, am I going to be offended? Like, not that I'm a post libertarian, but I get they're speaking kind of to me. Like, I'm not offended when somebody challenges my ideas from a place that I don't already know what their ideas are. So you've come at me with something new. I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Let's talk about that. You want to do an episode? Like, let's talk about that for two hours. Not like, oh, fuck you, man. You're taking away my group identity. I don't know who I am anymore because you challenged my belief system. Like, good. I want you to challenge my belief system. I just, I, I want you to challenge it from 10 years from now, not 20 years ago. Right. Cause I've already been there. That's not challenging. And, and also enough respect for yourself to, uh, not just change or adapt for the sake of changing and adapting, like being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian is another trap that people can fall into. You see this a lot with people who kind of don't know how to troll well, right? That they're almost just being contrarian for the likes. And, and it gets to the point of being just absurd where it doesn't, you're not trolling well anymore. You know, um, I, I've seen that in these circles as well. So I think listen, learn, grow, adapt. Uh, don't be an ideologue. Just be comfortable with yourself. Like th these should all be very easy to accept things. Like I don't think anything I'm saying is super radical or anything that you're saying is super radical. I, I don't really understand why people have an issue with it. But then I have to remind myself that the people who have an issue with it are a very, very, very small group of people. And very few of them listen to my show. And I have <clears throat> respect for my audience to know who they are. They're not libertarians for the most part. And I think that they will actually take these ideas and do more with them in the real world than the people who argue with me on Twitter will. And something you said uh, interesting in that was that, you know, the, in the, what are you, what are you going to do when the post post libertarians come along and, and that that's not going to create some identity crisis where you don't know what you are or what you believe anymore. I, I do think that they're a part of the problem that some of the ones who really fight back against the like the post-libertarian ideas and stuff like that 
I think a part of the problem that they have is that they're afraid that they're not going to know who they are and that they're mm. not going to know what mm-hmm. they believe if it gets challenged with a good argument. Because like the left and the right and, and a lot of what you see from partisan politics, it's not a good argument. It like from a, uh, a logical, consistent standpoint, like mm-hmm. you can kind of dismiss a lot of that stuff because it's not good arguments. It's, it's just partisan politics bullshit. But if presented with an actual good argument, then, you know, then they start to, to crack a little bit and, and they start to, to show some of those weaknesses. And, and I feel like, and I know a lot of the people who are in, in this stuff, like there are a lot of them who are quite a bit younger than us, but there are some that are in our mm-hmm. age range or pretty close to it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just, I, I worry that they haven't had certain life experiences that really like force them to question everything about their lives. Like I, I'm, I'm a devout Christian, always have been, probably always will be. Uh, but I, I went through some dark years that really kind of put me in a place where I basically said, fuck this. I don't want it. And then I, uh, kind of worked through a lot of that stuff and found my way back. And it, like, it didn't, it didn't break my ideas. If anything, it made them stronger by exploring some of those other things. Uh, which you and you and Mark talked about that as well, you know, like with the McKenna stuff and and looking at uh, Buddhism and Taoism and mm-hmm. Islam and like when I went through all that stuff and looked at that stuff and and listened to McKenna and Alan Watts and different uh, philosophers and idea people and read the Dhammapada and read the Quran and like explored that stuff. I became stronger in my own Christian faith. It didn't take me into some other weird thing. Like mm. it reinforced everything that had always been there and kind of made me even more whole. And I, I feel like a lot of the people who push and fight against ideas, they haven't had that good breaking where that they could, uh, have their ideas challenged and then come through them stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's definitely an atheist versus non-atheist divide there because even if somebody is agnostic or uh, just open to ideas, you know, but they're not actually a believer in anything, uh, they tend to be very sympathetic to a lot of the things that I or us or my friends talk about. Whereas there's a very hard stop in the atheist community or what I've seen from people who've called themselves atheists, they, they no longer call themselves atheists. So then they, the, the whole analogy makes sense there too. Uh, the, the, the atheist divide is, is really, I think the kicker and it just goes back to kind of full circle, what we were talking about earlier, which is the God shaped hole in, in man's heart, right? If, if you're constantly trying to stuff that full of some like, uh, you know, Christianity without Christ, which is what I've called libertarianism, right? It's just the same ideas, just without God in it, right? So you're trying to like kind of crowbar that in too. I, I think there's a lot of a divide there. Um, and, and I, you know, like you said, the different religions or different spiritual paths or that, that you've studied reinforce your own, your own Christianity. Well, I, I think that's because they're all telling the same story a different way with different players. 
And, and that's why I've, I've kind of said to, to numerous people, you know, to me, it doesn't matter what religion you pick. Because for me, they're all different vehicles to get to the same place. And they're all trying to understand the same thing. As long as you pick one of them, right there, they all supplement each other in one way or another. This is kind of the foundation of capital T traditionalism is trying to figure out what you can grab from this one and that one that kind of gets you to the same place. Now you can say, you know, it's, it's only Jesus Christ. He's, he's the way to get to the most high. Cool. Yes. Do that. That is way better than saying it's a sky fairy and uh, logic, logic and facts are going to get us there because we've seen where that gets us. So whatever religion anyone picks, just pick one and then really learn it. Don't just take somebody in 2021's you know, version of it they're selling to you. Really go back, look at the text exegetically, study the, the original rituals and traditions, realize why they were rituals and traditions, apply them in your life and do them and then shut up about it, right? Because no, nobody needs like an Aleister Crowley for Christianity where you do all the things and then you go on the talk show circuit and tell everybody what a fucking, you know, great person you are for doing it. So I'm not saying you do that. I just, it's general life advice. Do the thing, find your path, find your story and just, just live it. And, and you'll, you'll be in a much better place than these the, the fucking crazy atheists trying to find meaning and purpose and facts and logic. Cause I, I don't, I just don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the logical, factual community has really kind of failed in terms of providing anything of substance, like for, for what it's worth, you know, the real substantial science of the world and the universe has not really provided people with what they need to be prosperous and to be happy and to be successful. Hmm. Like that, that it just hasn't paid off. I mean, it's, it's cool to understand how it works and the mathematics of it and the science of it. And like, it's, that's all really cool, but none of that at the end of the day has provided what people need for fulfillment in their lives. And, and yeah. if you aren't fulfilled in your life, then what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Modernity has done a very good job of erasing um, ancient societies ways of dealing with natural problems that life presents you, right? Erasing those, creating new problems, and then selling you the solutions to the new problems. And that, when people realize that, they realize all of this is a trap. All of this, the last 500 years of from Descartes to now, the Hegelian dialectic, even though we're seeing the Hegelian dialectic play out, it doesn't have to. That, that's not natural. It's just what was created by removing God from the equation. Like the ancient Egyptians didn't have an Hegelian dialectic. They weren't trying to synthesize anything, right? So it doesn't have to be this way. But we're so accustomed to facts and logic and reason. Uh, and, and we think that anyone who doesn't conform to that is some like backwoods motherfucker. But honestly, man, you know who's going to survive all this? The fucking Amish, right? I even had somebody say to me in a group text today, like, how do you think the Amish are doing? And it's not like I had to go Google it to give an answer, right? Like they, they're going to be, unless somebody goes there and just slaughters them, like it, and life just happens around them. They're going to be just fine. And even you know, then, like, like that's not going to be an easy task to just go like that. Those huh. are, uh, you know, those are some tough motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and there's a reason for that. 
you know, and it might not be, it might not be my path, but I, I would think the way I live my life is much closer to that than it is to like a hardcore materialist who, you know, well, what is all that stuff? It just ties you to, to, to a world where, with no meaning, all the stuff that you have that this like late stage capitalism, you know, you, you have to have all of these things to show your things are awful. You know, like I have like the best stuff that I own. You're looking at it right now. <laughs> like that's I put some money into this because I think it looks cool. But I mean, pretty much everything else in this apartment's my girlfriend's. She She's super loves stuff. But like everything I own can go in the back of my car and, and we're good. Like that that kind of that mobility, you know, that that not being tied to things. And then also spending your, you know, the money, the money that you do have on something that matters is also kind of a good way to feel good about yourself. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think, um, I think finding that kind of that meaning and purpose and, and leaving the, well, it, it's, it's mysticism, right? Like it, it, in a way it's, it's embracing magic. Maybe it's chaos magic. Maybe it's just general traditional mysticism. But when you realize that the materialists are also using those things against you, then, then you can kind of adapt and be like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to the old ways. Like the, the ancients kind of had this figured out. Like that, that's how I win. That's how I get myself out of this trap. Instead of doing it the way they're doing it, I'm just going to anarch myself out and I'm going to win on my own. I know a lot of this has been like kind of tangenting and kind of jumping all over the place, but I have like you're sparking a lot of ideas in my head. So hope, hopefully like the, these incoherent ramblings of mine, you can, uh, you can edit them down. To, they make some kind of like, like reasonable sense to people <laughs> oh no this has been good because i mean this is like we're hitting all the we're hitting all the good stuff because otherwise i was going to talk about um like libertarian versus gop approaches and the nap and like dumb shit and this is way better than anything. well the the, the the nap's a fun one right <laughs> i was <laughs> you and i i think i think you and i have both run into some of the same uh lobert types when so I, and I, I think we may agree on this. I think the nap is a nice idea, but I also think the way culture, society, and modern day politics have progressed over the last 150 years, we're past that. Like we are being actively aggressed upon almost on a daily basis. And if you keep going with the idea of non-aggression you're going to be you're you're going to voluntarily walk into the boxcar to not aggress on somebody because they're not forcing you they're asking you nicely like and and i'm at the fuck that part of my life like i've got i've got kids and a wife and i'm at the fuck that part of my life like if if the uh if the level of aggression moves anywhere past where it currently is, then I am going to actively aggress back. Uh, and it's not, you know, I am not the aggressor. I am defending myself as far as mm. I'm concerned and, and should have probably as society, we probably should have been defending ourselves for 20 years, but it's that, you know, the, the frog in the pot syndrome. Hmm. You know, the, the sure. And, and to that point, pe- people use the nap differently, kind of depending on who you are. Right. It, they use it to say different things. And wh- what the non-aggression principle really is, is like 
a sliding scale of legal culpability, right? So if my dog pisses in your front yard and you blow my head off with a 12 gauge, uh, one could say like, I'm aggressing on your property, but like you super like aggress more, dude, you know, like, like, uh, like for, for real, <laughs> just get all surfer dude on you. And then if, if I'm crawling through your property for some reason, I'm just, I'm, I'm, let's say I'm homeless and I'm thirsty and I haven't eaten in days and you have a, a, a pond on your property, you know, and I start drinking water from it or something. And, you know, and, and then you, you, you tell me, I, you stand in front of me and tell me that I can't because it's your water and I die. Right. Like th- there's very complicated situations in here where someone's going to look at that and, and, and say, well, yeah, there was an initial aggression, but the defense of the property was a way worse aggression on the person. So the nap is just like a legal framework to try to determine culpability in a, prop- a private property rights society. Right. And private property being a human invention designed to mitigate violence. And it seems to mitigate violence more than a lot of other different, you know, personal property or communal property, private property being just completely made up invention is, is, a, is a way to mitigate violence, but it doesn't end violence, right? It, it's just a, a legal framework for you to try to work through a situation to figure out who's at fault and who isn't at fault. So if you look at it as uh, a synonym for passivism, right, I think that's that's a huge problem. Or if you just extrapolate it to some point where you know the the bullet has to like literally leave the leave the gun and be headed toward your face before you defend yourself that that's a trap and and kind of what you were saying about you know the state aggressing something that the nap doesn't take into account is the futility of thinking there's something of benefit to come from giving power to your enemies and if you're going to fight the state, right, if you're going to actually go after the state and you have to win, because if you don't win, the very act of rebellion makes the state stronger. So, you know, if you hear me or other people say, you know, don't go to these rallies, don't on Twitter talk about burning it to the unless you're trying to be a collapsitarian or something, which I I'm totally acceptable talking about, like burning it to the ground or like we have to take the fight to these politicians like, no, no, you sure don't. You don't have to do that. You, you definitely don't have to do that at all, because not only do you not have a plan, like the people you're trying to motivate are like the least violent human beings in the world because of the fucking non-aggression principle, which we just talked about a minute ago. So I, I just don't see how that's effective in any way. Now, again, if somebody comes to my home or somebody comes to me on the street and tries to take something from me or accost me or, you know, uh, break into my home and steal something from me or hurt my family. Well, then motherfucker, I'm going to put you down on the spot. Now I have the means and the wherewithal to do that. I will put you down on the spot and think nothing about it the next day. Right. So, and that person could be whomever you want to put a blue uniform on that person and call them Santa Claus or whatever, go for it. Like they're going down, but am I going to go out trying to look for that? It's really hard to say. I mean, my, my business was locked down for, for two months last year. That it really sucked for me. Didn't suck as much as it did for some, a lot of other people that I was friends with. And I thought to myself, well, this is a natural aggression. I mean, and it is, you just told me I can't go to work at a place I fucking own. Right. Like, which I, apparently I don't. And you're telling me I can't make money unless I take it from you. And by the way, that money you're giving to me is like my fucking money in the first place. So how, how can this, how can this not be a natural aggression? But then it's like, well, what do I do about this? 
do I go there and yell at them? You know, there's a bunch of different ways to handle this. And it occurred to me that the one uh, avenue I hadn't taken was making myself immune to tyranny. Right. And, and this is kind of a, a sort of a collaboration or a fusing together of agorism and the concept of the anarch into something like the wealth, power and influence um, mantra. Right. Invest in your own human capital, grow your own personal wealth, uh, make sure you can you have mobile income, kind of the Jason Stapleton approach and kind of melding all of these ideas together. Number one, remove yourself from the system to the point where it can affect you. First, you have to do that mentally. Then you can do it physically. Right. But just completely check out of clown world. Don't let it bother you anymore. Then work to make sure it can't affect your life in the real world, too. And then a lot of your problems are alleviated. And. If anybody out there is listening to this and thinks, wow, that's like a really easy thing to do for the most part, if I just kind of knuckle down and learn some things and maybe I can make myself immune to tyranny or at least, you know, more immune to tyranny than I was yesterday or last year, um, go on some fucking libertarian Twitter and let these people know that they can actually improve their lives. And they'll be like, are are you kidding me? Uh, Make more money. My tax dollars are going to increase and they're going to kill kids in Yemen. And you're like, what the fuck? What is wrong with you people? And that at that point, you know, I should take my own advice to just check out of clown world, <laughs> remove myself from the system. And, you know, and then and the story, the story continues. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's and so I've talked about it too many times at this point, but I don't know if there is such a thing as too many times. But like we have a, a good sized garden. We have goats, chickens, uh, looking at possibly expanding the the animals to uh something different like specifically a meat breed of animal because the goats are miniature uh goats like we can milk them but they're not they're not going to be big enough for like eating unless you know we really got desperate but i also hunt and i grew up on a farm i i work to make enough money to not have to worry about anything like we we never worry about anything all of our bills Mm. usually by the end of the first week of the month all of our bills for the month are paid and then the rest of the month it's you know it's whatever and then you know in the in the summers we have the garden and we have everything we need so we can kind of check out if we needed to Mm -hmm. I, i don't think enough of the liberty community is positioned for that or would even know what the fuck they were doing if they had to do it Mm. and that's now that's well you're you're i mean what are you doing there you're you're living your values right like you literally are living your values which if you're trying to convince people to share your values one would think would be the easiest way to do it would be to live it first and then share it with people. Like we said earlier, that's exactly what you're doing. So like, how are you going to spread Liberty if you don't first have it? So you've in your, in your way, which is different than my way, but it's, it's a good way in your own way, you've created your own Liberty. And now uh, it, you have a much better opportunity at selling that to somebody else. You could say, Hey, look what I did. Like, look at the results, look at your results versus my results. You're as you're telling them, and that they might go, oh, maybe I should listen to you, as opposed to somebody who goes, well, you know, I, I'm a voluntarist. And you're like, well, what does that mean? 
say, well, I believe all interactions between human beings or consenting adults, if they're even more reasonable, uh, should be voluntary. And you're like, wow, that, that sounds really awesome. How, how do you live your life that way? Well, well, I don't, obviously, because that's not reasonable. But like, I really want to be a voluntary. I really want there to be a voluntary society. And you're like, okay, so you're not really a voluntarist. You're like a utopianist or a perfectionist. You're just making something up that doesn't exist in reality. You're like, well, you know, I, I would love to go to the store and buy the candy bar without taxes. But, you know, they forced me to pay taxes. And it's like, well, wait, actually, you are a voluntarist because you just volunteered to pay taxes to get the thing that you wanted. So what does any of this even mean? You know, are you what, what are you doing in your life to be a voluntarist? What are you doing in your life to be an anarchist? Like, you know, whether you're being like a left wing anarchist and blowing shit up, well, those people actually live their values, don't they? The, the right. <laughs> if you're looking at being morally consistent, I mean, you know, Antifa certainly lives their values. If you're a right wing anarchist that believes in like private property and all that stuff, I mean, and, and you're and you're working at Best Buy and you're living in your parents' basement, as Jason Stapleton is is wont to say, uh, and and you're trying to tell somebody to uh, in, embrace the principles of libertarianism, and they have like thirty times more money than you, like why would they listen to you? Why in the world would they listen to you? And they've moved past where you're at a long, long time ago, and you're like, well, really, it's just about the morals. And you're like, okay, well, then if I follow your morals, I'm going to be poor, unsuccessful, have no friends and no power. No, your morals on paper might be really good, but that sure seems like a shitty way to sell them to somebody. So yes, man, like live, live your values, live your life, create liberty for yourself. And then you can actually spread a message of something that you already have. If you have liberty, you can share it. You can't share liberty if you don't have liberty. You have to ha I have to have a can of Coke before I can share it with you, right? I can't just conceptualize it in my head and then like beam the image into your brain and be like, I've shared Coke with you. And you're like, yeah, I can't taste it though, right? Because it's not like I'm not drinking it because it's not here. So, <laughs> And that, that kind of brings us kind of to, a, to an extent, full circle back to what we had talked about earlier with like being so principled and like the black and white when you know, we're kind of in a gray world. Uh, you know, that that's when you are, you have those values, but you're not actually living those values. If you have those principles, but you're not doing anything other than being super principled, you know, you're, what are you accomplishing? So, hmm. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, to, to tie that up, I think both of us have said this multiple times here, um, but there's, there's nothing that says, that you have to do anything to live your principles, right? You can just completely go about your life and do whatever you want. Like if you're comfortable working at Best Buy and living in your parents' basement, and that makes you happy, like you can just do that, right? It, it's when you start telling other people how to, how to live their lives from, from a position of weakness that it becomes an issue. But nobody's like a, a lot of people are very, very happy with very, very little income. Um, but there's the, the old joke. I think it was like a comic or something. It's like one of those strip comics of the different boxes. And it's showing like the, it's like a street in New York city and it's showing a, um, not a debt to income ratio. It's like a t total wealth or something like that. Meaning, you know, that basically debt to income and there's a, the stock broker and he's got like a million dollars a year. He makes something, but he's like $2 million in debt. So it's like negative a million. And then there's the, the college graduate who, you know, he's got a good job or whatever, but he's living paycheck to paycheck. And he's basically like the, you know, his, his checking account is $20 overdrawn. 
right? So he's instead of a million dollars in debt, he's twenty dollars in debt. And then there's the homeless guy who just got twenty cents that somebody gave him, but he that's all he he literally just he has a positive income, like he has positive wealth of twenty cents. And so, it, it, in that sense, it's all kind of relative. But I, I think it's a good analogy for if you're comfortable living your life the way you're living it, and you want to share that with people, you know, just understand that it's going to be very difficult to change the world from that position. See that we'll, we'll wrap it up with that. Cause that you and I, and, uh, Eric, um, shoot. What's his, what's his show's name? Uh, rebel with the calls. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I'm familiar with it. We, we were, we were all on that little, uh, brief thread last night talking about like, I can have an employee who's a really good employee. And I can try to teach them how to do other things that would help them grow and develop mm. more. And they won't have anything to do with it because they want to stay right where they are. Like they think that I'm trying to add work to them when I'm trying to add value. And, and, and there is a, there's a real, uh, I don't know if it's a problem, but there's definitely a, a very distinct class of people who, don't want anything other than to do what they do right now. Yeah. And you know, I, I, it, 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 it's, it's, yeah, not to belabor that, but it, I think it's always been that way. You know, I, I, I can remember when, when I got my first job and I remember my friends and all the minimum wage jobs that we had and stuff. And, and some of us like me were entrepreneurial at 16 and, and running a weed dealing business out of a pizza shop that I, for some reason, got to manage within six months of working there and like making, you know, $2,500 a week at 16 years old, selling drugs and, and delivering pizza. But most of my friends didn't do that. You know, like they, they dicked off and, and, you know, tried to do as little work as possible for, as little and, and to be fair, listen, I dicked off, try to do as little work as possible for as much money as possible, too. That's why I sold drugs instead of just delivering pizzas. So I think that's probably always been there. I mean, you remember like watching uh, like all in the family or something and Archie would always get on the kids for for being lazy slackers. And, you know, they would get into this socialism versus capitalism argument and like subtlety in the show all the time about, you know, you got to work hard and you know, whatever. So I think that's always been a cycle. It's probably always played out that way. It's just kids today tend to get bigger treats from the state than they have in the past. And they have the internet. So it's easy to kind of build each other up into some kind of, but there's also the reason I put that post up that you're, you're referring to when you were on that thread with Eric um, is I was trying to get people to see that's becoming a voting block. So even though that cycle's played out throughout history, like just kids just being lazy. Now there's actually, a, a, they're politically active. So there's a voting block of these kids. And, and that particular voting block is very interesting because it's appealing to both the AOCs and Green New Deals of the world, but also right-wing populists. Both of those groups are vying for that fucking young male energy to be representative of their political movements. And that was what I was... Um, very amorphously not pointing out in that tweet and trying to see where people were going to take it on their own, that uh, that group of people is going to become very, very crucial in the political realm in the coming five to 10 years. So talk about a good place to leave it. Gosh, having spent my entire career in management, that scares the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, you know, 
for, for better or for worse, it, it is a, rec a recognition of reality for what's coming in the future. And, you know, I don't know yet what to do with that information, but I promise you it's going, it's going to transpire one of those two directions. And neither one of them is very good. You know, I don't want a right wing or a left wing dictator. Um, and certainly the libertarians aren't going to be a factor in vying for that young male energy. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to kind of how to fix the coming problem there. But um, I guarantee you five, 10 years from now, we're going to look back on this episode and be like, holy shit, we were fucking on to something. I think I'm going to expand my garden a little bit more. <laughs> That's probably a good idea, dude. Well, thank you very much for coming on. This was I thought this was excellent. I had a lot of fun, too. And hopefully anybody that listens to this is going to learn a little bit, too, because we I, I feel like the ideas that we were able to kind of kick off of each other really built onto some uh, some good stuff that came out of it and mm. uh, more, way beyond just the typical political dumbassery that Twitter brings along with some some actual uh, substance of conversation. So plug everything you got and we'll get out of here. Oh yeah, shit. Forgot I had to do that. Uh you're talking you're talking over me. It's uh Y E R talking with no G over me spelled properly. You're talking over me with Adam Patrick, any podcatcher, YouTube, or you can go on you're talking over me.com. It's got a player embedded right in the website. Um hopefully it's tuned so that you can turn your phone, you know, turn the screen off and you can still hear it, like if you pay for YouTube or whatever. And then that'll have links on there to anything that I end up doing in the future, like Patreon or Substack or Subscribestar or any of those things. Um any social media platform at I am Adam Patrick. Um, please feel free to engage me or contact me there. And, and if you message me, I just keep reminding people on shows. If you're going to message me, try to sound like a real human being when you do it so that I don't think you're like a Russian bot or some kind of weird Indian porn star that's uh, trying to fish for like fucking TikTok likes and views. Please just don't, don't be like, hello. And I'm like, hi, like, how are you today? Like block. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's uh that's my pitch man i i, ha I had a lot of fun with this I, I appreciate you letting me ramble on like crazy person and uh hopefully people get something out of it it was great thank you very much all right justin thanks man yep.